would it come before the music or would it come after? You think? I feel like you would have it right before the music. And then You'd it drops. Start with just that isolated, and then the music would start. All right. So this is my impression of the Joker. And three, two, one. Five, one through ten. What are you giving that? Six and a half. Okay. So yeah, it could use passable. work. Could use work, but again, yeah. I don't I, I don't get the impression that you've really been honing that, so pretty good out of the gates. That's I think what the Madonna series is also gonna be about is me slowly honing my Heath Ledger. Yeah, as I was Joker. actually gonna make that point as well. That's your Heath Ledger Joker. That's not necessarily just the Joker on the whole Mark Mel no. Joker is no, I have much, my own much Joker, of course. Dude, Dan, we Danny, all have our own. Danny Van Zandt Joker. <laughs> I'm my Joker. Much different than Mark Mel or uh, Heath Ledger or Who anybody is else. It Mark Mel? Mark Hamel or uh, oh, Hamel, oh, uh, the guy that from played Luke. Star Wars? Yeah, yeah. He voiced him in a lot of like animated series and stuff. Like, I never knew that. Sort of the de facto yeah joker voice actor for a lot of different things yeah like batman beyond or i believe so dude because i mean you have like you know nicholson like he's been play, portrayed yeah. live action by many different people but like animated he like mark was like pretty much the guy that would be doing that did you ever watch batman beyond oh yeah how would you describe that aesthetic i feel like that was like such a specific like oh yeah you know what i mean like well it was like totally I, I oh man, that's like darker. Yeah, I was gonna say it seems like not quite cyberpunk, but sort of, kind of like on the cusp of something like little that a little bit. bit. That, yeah, and then like, like um, what was the? We watched these when we lived together. But do you remember? Was it the Tim Burton Batman's that have that full on like? They've got like the misfits looking characters in them. Do you remember what I'm talking th- about? There's like yeah. that like yeah 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 sort of like yeah. This is not how I expected our Madonna series. <laughs> this is like a lot of Batman conversation. Yeah, right out of the gate, a lot of Batman Joker talk for this uh, uh, our latest miniseries, number three. We're doing on Madonna. Well, and what do we remind coming. me? Take me back again. What do we have a name for this overall? series where we're doing these uh, uh views from the vault i views believe from the vault yeah long term here we're planning on getting to drake that's, that's the, right yeah that's, that's views it's gonna be indefinitely teasing the long uh the drake miniseries i mean it, it is a little surprising that we haven't had like a full-blown we were talking about this a, a few days ago yeah. uh, when we were hanging out uh that uh, doing like a, a actual Drake episode at some point. It just seems like an inevitability, real like round table style with Nick and Joe and yeah. Because I mean, I would love to just do maybe like the the way into that episode that I've always been curious about is like I feel like you're definitely not a Drake fan, right? Yeah, safe to but say. we both I think we've said before to each other that like we could easily make an album's worth of Drake songs that you like. Yeah, I right? think that, I think we could definitely do that. Which is yeah. so rare, for, like that there's like an artist that you would actively dislike. But they've got enough music that like you could still put together. Like it's for me, I, you'd almost think like that's an artist you'd like at that point. But it is just like we hear him so much that if it's like it's like a nine to one ratio. Well, it's an interesting yeah. Think about like again that sort of thing where like you know you've had an artist that's been around long enough to have put out that much work. Like I can think of like you know maybe certain artists like The Strokes for example. Let's say I only liked Is This It and they put out maybe three or four more records than they have. It's like. Can I re- and I, I don't like any of it. Let's say I don't like Room on Fire or any of the other ones. Yeah. Can I say that the Strokes are a band that I like? I mean, it's or, you know a, a band I'm a fan of. It's like oh, if there's really just one record there, it's, is that really yeah, like? I don't know. What is it's fandom? Just, it, yeah, it's it's really uh, yeah. Where do you draw that line? It's hard to say. I, I generally opt for that kind of thing where it's like I'm not a fan, but if somebody has done something that I've liked that much, that I will you know for better and worse give them the benefit of the doubt kind of indefinitely. So you didn't go to the It's All a Blur tour. I sadly missed out. Okay. All right. I was I was really you know going back and forth on pulling the trigger. So but that's no. not going to be part of our opening concert recap as you looking no, at Drake. No, well, yeah. I was it, thought that was I thought I thought you had gone. It wouldn't have been what we would have opened with. It would have been a nice cap off, especially yeah. just you know beautiful segue there leading into the super awkward performance that Drake and Madonna had. Was that Coachella? Oh or, my god, I forgot. I, about I don't that. remember where exactly that was, but like they, was they that? just. 
Yeah, when she came out and kissed him, and he like you could see the visuals like the he didn't know what was happening. Yeah, and he was like, "What?" Like, yeah, yeah, that was because it was right after he put out the song Madonna yeah. from. Uh, that could oh, have yeah, been, that would have been a great segue, but sadly, I did not make my way yeah. over to the It's a Blur tour. Okay, so we're doing. Would see Twenty One Live at some point. Oh yeah, the, the two, I think that would be fun. Hell yeah, I would but, go with you for that for sure. Yeah. All right, so we're doing yeah views from the vault. It's our third series. We've touched on Little Wayne. We touched on the Roots. Now we're doing the the obvious next one. We're going to Madonna. And I will say, I think we've done a pretty good job of you know choosing artists so far. I mean, with the Roots, that one might have been a little bit more disingenuous, given that you know we started that right after we'd seen that Pitchfork, and because they were headlining or you know, just playing Pitchfork, I did end up ripping through all those records. But I didn't know that stuff that well, so it did kind of work out as far as still rediscovering stuff about those albums. But yeah, these are all artists that you know we haven't made the full discog run for through, and you know are really only familiar with a handful of songs, really, just kind of throughout the years. And I think you know we both. You know, we talked about Madonna's capacity and that, like, she's somebody that we've known a handful of those singles for pretty much most of our lives, but have not really done the full discog. Yeah, yet. it just she just seems like so one of those artists who, like, you and me as like huge music nerds, like, it's a it's a spot that we shouldn't be missing. Yeah, like we need 100%. to make sure we have. Like, I want to be able to be in those Madonna conversations at parties when yeah. they come up. I'm always, <laughs> yeah, I'm they're always, always at, happening. I mean, even one, when I'm we're hanging at parties too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just yeah, casually hanging out at the bar doing karaoke, like, like messing around. It's just like, oh, the Madonna conversation is going to happen, and we have nothing to contribute. And Which is only it is a damn shame. <laughs> but I also, I mean, again, like optimism or otherwise, like the influence is just so undeniable. And like you know, we'll be talking about this and getting you know, it just become more evident as we progress through her discussion just how much she's really influenced and shaped the you know the sort of uh, kind of paradigm of pop music as it exists today yeah. and uh, there's some very interesting points that I mean, I'll be getting to as far as just like again where things were with disco and dance music and pop in 83 mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. much that just shifted dramatically but uh, we should jump into this uh, concert gonna, corner though yeah so okay to start you and me we have a we have a little bit of a backlog of shows that we've seen but haven't really gotten into yeah and I mean it feels weird to be talking about this late but I, I want to do justice to some of these shows I mean these are all things that I think are worth, the three that I have in mind that I believe I don't think there are any other ones that you're going to pull up that we haven't talked about but there are, there are, these are definitely all worth we, mentioning I, in my I opinion I hate to say this we, we did talk Fleet Foxes already you know what? I don't think we did. Well, so I think we, we have, have a fourth. So, yeah. four so fourth. you want to go, wanna go like kind of one for one? Is it cool if I cover the Fleet Foxes? Totally. One, even we're both... a- absolutely. By so all let's means. go one for one. You start it off. Who do you want to start with? Wednesday? You want to start uh, with? Got to start uh, Yolo Tango then. Let's go Yolo. First. Yeah. So uh, I caught Yolo Tango at the Majestic probably about three weeks now ago or so. And uh, Yolo Tango band that we both enjoy quite a bit. I think you mm-hmm. saw them years ago. Saw them at Pitchfork once. Okay. Word. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I've been a big fan of their, them for years now. And so it was really satisfying to finally once see them live and also uh touring this stupid world which i do think is one of their best records period not just you know within the last decade or so but just kind of in general and uh i yeah unsurprisingly i thought it was a great show it was at the majestic and uh along with uh, the age show that i saw a few months ago the sound our favorite venue yeah, our favorite venue. Yeah. The sat the it, it, the mixing was much better than I'm used to for a band like that. And I mean, their set on the whole was definitely you know a little bit more understated and subdued than a lot of stuff that I see there, or how you, your impression of them might be depending on the records of theirs that you've heard. But uh, it was really really well done. Uh, they played just as the three piece: Ira Kaplan, uh, Georgia Hubley, and um, uh, James McNew, I believe, is the bass player. And um, it was a great set. They played uh, again a lot of stuff from the most recent record, The Stupid World, but a lot of like their just some of their strongest sets songs to date. I mean, 
Um, you told oh, me they did the slow big day coming. Yes, the <sighs> slow slow big day coming was just. I mean that that just was uh, just. We, one of those songs that felt like it was very much worth the price of admission alone. Yeah, I was gonna I mean, say really that's like, like if there's like a bucket list for not just like artists you want to see live, but songs you want to see live. Totally. That's on mine. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I mean, really, just again, one of those that just it it was. I, I hate throwing around this, this the c word all the time, but like yeah, the catharsis was just undeniable. Ooh, I, I mean, only, yeah, yeah. And then like uh, I don't know if you've heard um, their album Fade from 2013. That's probably what they that were was touring. When I, when, for I was gonna yep. say I assume that yeah yep. yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, the opening track on that Om has become one of my favorite songs of theirs, period. And they went from that right into um, I Heard You Looking, and I just, like, ah, uh, man. Is that the one where it's like, sometimes the good guys come yes, out on top sometimes, yeah. or bad guys come out on times the good guys yeah. win? So good. I love, I mean, really, yeah. like, that, That like, just, I I feel still like I have goosebumps from that. Going from that back into that the final track on Painful, which is my favorite song of theirs, and, yeah. uh, but yeah, it was it was a really great mix of things just kind of throughout the discog. They played um, Mr. Tough, and uh, I'm trying to like blank on a handful of other kind of random ones. Uh, obviously, Autumn Sweater, um, and uh, yeah, it was interesting. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, but they they did play. They had a, a traditional encore, but before that, like midway through, they actually took like a 20 minute break. Like an intermission during the yes. set. So like, like, a, like two a proper, sets. Yes, exactly. Like a proper intermission. Cool. That's like, so cool for them. They're like, the if there's a band, I feel like that could be continuing that style of like, because the Velvet Underground used to do that. Oh, really? Grateful Dead are like, I feel like the Grateful okay. Dead are like the most famous for doing that. And the two sets have like, there's like a known structure of like for the Dead. The first set is usually like shorter songs, kind of more up-tempo to get the crowd going. And then the second set is where they like expand and jam a little more. Okay. Yeah, it definitely makes sense, like, for certain acts where it's like, oh, the touch is going to be radically different or something yeah. like that. But I just, I was not used to that sort of thing being a precedent. I thought it was a, a nice move. I mean, my issue with the encore is that, again, it just feels so expected and played out and, like, just something where it's like, okay, like, if the artists are really into it, whatever, do whatever you want. But I don't like the idea that, like, oh, we just do this because it's what the fans expect and it's, a, like, it just, it... I don't know, man. I, like, I, I just, I, it's just really not. I, I fucking love when bands just play their set through and that's it. I mean, if you want to take the intermission in between, especially with Yellow Tango, I mean, they're, you know, an older band. They've been around for a while. Like, you know, if it's something, whether it's, you know, for whatever reason, it's like, okay, that I totally get. Like, I respect it by all means. The encore thing, like, it just, I, I can't. I just it. hate when it's like they leave the stage and they're back on stage in like three minutes. Because that's, that's how I'm used to seeing it. It's yeah. like, I, I, don't, I don't ever, it doesn't feel like that kind of true thing where like people are chanting around for a while, they yes. stop. After 10, 15, and you know, it's always like two to three minutes, and it's like I think just, it's got to be six minutes plus. You got to because by the sixth minute, then it's like, wait, are we getting this? And you yeah, do, like, you have to have final, some like, level of suspension for yeah. that for sure. Like, you know, you can't just, I don't know, man. It's yeah, I, I, I don't care for it, but um. Yeah, it was it was really really great show. I would definitely go see them again at some point. And uh, I I've talked about this to you a little before we started recording, but both this show and the next show I'll be talking about were had some of the, like the best banter I'd seen in a while. Like yeah. true, like uh, you know uh, I don't know if it's I'd say Tyler Crater caliber banter, oh. but some but some of the best stuff I've seen in a while. Like really just yeah. With uh, in the case of Yellow Tango, I mean it very much was something where again they weren't like. You know, just hey, how you guys doing? Like, you know, doing any kind of just like you know, kind of forced stuff in between songs while they were tuning or tuning. It was very much uh, the kind of thing where like, oh, they you know, just kind of offhand. Ira Kaplan would crack something. Like they they 
in the middle of like Mr. Tough, they like kind of stopped for a segment and I was like, if I had any sense of professionalism whatsoever, I'd be kind of clapping and making this out to be something that, you know, but I'm not a professional and this is not what we're going to do. And then they would just go right into finishing it like pitch perfectly and like That's just awesome. like little like kind of just things here and there. It was like, oh, this guy's just so sharp and so reverent and like, you know, just legitimately like has a great sense of humor and personability, but not something where it was like, oh, I'm just, there's an expectation here necessarily. He just couldn't help but be who he was. And Oh, and if I could real quick tell it on your I've told you the story about how I met him right and I don't think you have at Pitchfork, I think it was the first year we went in Chicago. We were on. So they this was 2013, right? 2012. Oh, before they oh, played, okay. which I thought was so interesting too that they were just like, okay. So you met them. You're, okay, gotcha, gotcha. I don't know if they were there as fans or if they were just in Chicago, but we were leaving Pitchfork. We were in a taxi going back to the hotel, which was in like a suburb around Chicago. Mm-hmm. And on the way, it was like a approaching a traffic light, so we were cruising real slow. And I saw Georgia and Ira outside a bar, and I don't know, like. What I, I I feel like me today wouldn't do this, but I was I must have I was probably like a little drunk, and I was just like stop the car, stop the car, and I jumped out and I ran up to them and like in the most like classic dorky like like oh sir like it was just like I was just like thank you so much you've changed my life I love you guys and they were just like very like surprised and like oh all right cool all right cool thanks man <laughs> like they were so sweet but it was also just like. I felt like I was, they were the ones at the bar, but I feel like I was the one who was coming in with like the more wild drunk energy. I mean, like, I don't see them really getting like. No, not at all. Yeah, that's, getting, that, yeah I mean, again, it's. They're pretty def- reserved. Yeah, it speaks to just sort of, um, I think a lot of their charm is that they are very much the kind of like just working class indie legends yeah. that like, you know, they've been, Georgia and James, or not James, Georgia and Ira have been in a relationship as far as I know, like pretty much the entire time that the band have mm-hmm. been active. Mm-hmm. And like, as far as I know, they all still live in New Jersey and it's just very much the kind of like, Oh, they, they are just true lifers and not like the sort of uh, people that ever came close to really kind of burning out or and you know, having like, an implosion in that sort of way. I feel like with Sonic youth disbanding like a decade ago now too, I think we've said this before too on the show, but it seems to me like Yola Tango are like the premier like career indie rock. Act. Yeah. Totally. Like, there's no one, Who's like? I mean, you could like say pavement, pavement stopped for a long time. So like, as a band that's just kept going the whole yeah, way. Yeah, Steve like, Malcolm as a songwriter, you could put kind of on that. You know, as far as that sort of thing. But as a like, band, actual band institution, yeah, yeah totally yeah, agreed. Yeah. So great show. Uh, yeah. what, what's the first one you're going to talk about? Uh, I guess I'll go in order too. Uh, I saw the Cure. I I love the Cure. Um, I definitely wanted to go to the tour, but I just hadn't. I don't know. I just didn't pull the trigger. They're not like like obviously you know me. They're not like a top fifty band for me or anything. Right. It's not like. Like they are a bucket list band. Same thing as like us with Madonna. It's just like a, a such a huge thing musically that I feel like I need to like see them live once or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got lucky the day of their show. My friend Andrew, who had tickets, found out that he had to work a double that night and couldn't go, so he passed them along to me. Um, me and Madeline went, and it was it was awesome. It was like a rainy kind of like sprinkly drizzly night. We had to buy ponchos, but I felt like that was like ideal like cure weather in totally. a way. Yeah. Like like it's, rainy you know, too lo- fitting. Sleepy like, London kind of yeah, like at Urban. Where are they actually? Are they Manchester? Or I don't know. Ingl- I should UK, know. UK. Something yeah. in the UK. <laughs> British shit. Um, but it was I mean they play I'm so impressed by like it, I I was I mean like as you would at a concert like it had me thinking about the cure more than I ever had been and how like they're so ambiguous in terms of like being like a music nerds band where like you, they're gonna play for hours and they're gonna play songs if you're not a heavy fan you don't know and it got me thinking the whole time i'm watching i'm like are they gonna play like the big hits or are they more of that like Radiohead style like we don't play creep because like you could see the cure being that but then by the end of the show yeah like the last five songs they're doing like friday i'm in love boys don't cry just like heaven and you're like god like they are like a 
pop band too though like mm-hmm. they are like a prim- like you forget like how big they were in the 80s i mean not that i was alive but like a premiere like just singles every year like yeah slammer band and so that was really cool and then i remember also just having a lot of in-depth thoughts about like are the cure a good lyrical band or not like i couldn't tell <laughs> and like i came to the conclusion that for me at least like it's like so much about the marriage of the music and the lyrics like if you just read the lyrics alone it's a little like i look at the moon and i think of you and like you're not there but like combined with the like especially like disintegration era production and stuff it's like perfect like yeah. i wouldn't want anything more like complex or like it's like so mm-hmm. perfect of a fusing totally um, yeah so that show was great uh and that was at pine knob um and it was my first time being at pine knob in years and yeah it was just it was also just a cool like people watching thing like seeing kids keep alive the like goth fashion and also seeing and old it, elder goths yes like. and seeing it not be like uh mall goth fashion that we grew up with like obviously mm-hmm. it wouldn't mm-hmm. be that but like seeing people preserve the more like specifically like i saw a guy who literally looked like late 70s robert smith like not like oh, the robert smith with this. the makeup yeah. but like the like post-punk kind of era still where he just had like the cool hair yeah and just like a certain fat and it was like wow like that's a specific look that i feel like you that got like lost in time and so it was cool to see yeah. but yeah overall great show definitely a great show not as good as the next one i'll get to for me but <laughs> so then you saw yeah, wednesday like, cure very much a bucket list band for me i yeah. definitely you know i wanted to try to make that happen if i ever get a chance to again but like yeah just i mean they they're, they're, what else i mean i'd like really like to do a cure episode at some point i mean oh, they're yeah. they're one of those bands that i just didn't really get into that hard until a few years back and then but when it hit it really fucking hit and his uh, voice is the exact same yeah 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 e- the exact too. same god damn it's insane yeah okay so the next uh, act that i'm going to talk about is um probably the band that you know i've wanted band to see of the, year. the most yeah i mean mm. my band of the year for sure so yeah. far i mean you know it's it's uh really one of the probably the only act aside from animal collective that i feel like i talk about every single episode but i finally got a chance to see wednesday at the pyramid scheme Love and it. uh yeah, I mean, it, it very much lived up to the hype and more for me. I mean, um, yeah, they, uh, you know, it was a pretty electric set. They, they're a five-piece now. They got, a, I think, a new bass player fairly recently. And, uh, yeah, ripped through uh, pretty much most of uh, Rat Saga, their most recent record, uh, the one that dropped, I think, yeah, a few months ago. Do and, they only uh, have, sorry to interrupt, do they only have one album before that? No, they actually, so they actually it's, they've got a very interesting sort of discog because it, uh, it was Wednesday initially started as Carly Hartzman's uh, solo project. So yeah. there is their first record is technically just her. And there's another EP that she had just done all herself, just the Wednesday self-titled EP. And then like there were some earlier ones that were credited to Wednesday and MJ Lenderman that I think are more full bands. I don't think it's just the two of them. Like, I don't know at what point the rest of the members sort of joined the fold, but uh, there are two albums of original material and a covers record of stuff that the full band did before Rats All God. So technically okay. there are like five, like they count their covers record as one of their albums. So uh, I think there are like five albums total now. Okay. And like three EPs or so. But again, the the um, lineup does vary pretty much from EP. Like on the EPs, it's all pretty much different. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, they, I don't think they um, uh, had a, a full band record until... Um, I'm trying to blank on what the one was called. It was uh, one from 2021. Um, the most was, recent one, too. Sorry, 2020. I was trying to describe it to somebody. That's that's the first record that I think like the full band came on for, and then uh, they had um, Twin Plagues in the following year, and then the covers record, and now Rats Out God. So gotcha. Okay. There's quite a bit that they've you know all been uh, recording together now, and uh, they played a handful of uh, some of the covers and some of the really great earlier stuff. I mean, there wasn't a ton of stuff that like, I feel like I really wanted to see. I mean... 
Uh, their cover of Smashing Pumpkins Perfect would have been, you know, perfect for me. No. Um, but, uh, you know, and uh, I would have, I think uh, Three Sisters as well would have been cool. But yeah, they played Handsome Man. They played, um, uh, what was it? Uh, I think underneath no coyote i don't know like a, a lot of this like really good deep uh classic stuff but yeah. like again the majority of uh newer material and it sounded great i mean it was definitely the kind of thing where like you could like i mean really great renditions some stuff was a little bit like just scrappier and rougher on the edges but i mean like really just great energy incredible chemistry uh she sounded great like uh and this is another uh thing too here where I thought the banter was pretty excellent. There was discussion actually in the last Indicast episode about Wednesday specifically, crowd the crowd banter there and like um she just like the stuff between like like her like just teasing MJ Lenderman. Like there was, there was a moment Aww. about like the you know, his uh, microphone being not just not not being basically just enough volume in his monitor and her cracking about how that was a skill issue on his end and nothing to do with the uh, sound tack and oh, like that's funny. just you yeah. know little things like that where it's just like oh like th- 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 there's just so much charm and personality here and like is it not the best when you like that's so different I feel like when you see a band and you can tell that they're actually like friends too it's oh, like that's when yeah. you like it makes I feel like the times in my life I've seen that is when I feel like like that's. We live in such a world, I feel like, today of, like, solo artists and, like, non-band music. But it's, like, when you see that, it really does feel like it's still this special thing that, like, can never die. Like, when you see just, like, oh, a yeah. group of people having fun on stage together, it's the ba- It's just the best. And I, I honestly do think that, like, again, I, I've mentioned how, yeah, like, there, you know, there's so many reasons why bands like Animal Collective and Big Thief and Wednesday have become, you know, kind of all-time favorites of mine. And I do think, like, again, this might not, this is... Not necessarily one of the larger reasons that I will kind of go to when I talk about the reasons that I love these artists, but the fact that like they all are friends and present as bands, like you know, and not like sell acts with hired guns and yeah. have been playing music and enjoying each other's company for that long. It's like, yeah, that that definitely goes a long way, and it's infectious and undeniable on stage. Mm-hmm. And um, the so I mean, it was a really great set through all, but like uh, they finished. In, uh, bonus points did not play an encore. It was fantastic. Played the nice, set through. Nice. And it, last song was Bull Believer. Surprise, surprise. And mm-hmm. before that, uh, Carl Hartman talked about how it was difficult to sort of access the emotions to really play that song live every night, uh, just because it was so traumatic to like, write and record that. But she talked about how it, like, she was dedicating this song to just like um, basically all the queer people fighting for their lives and the trans people that were facing all the horrific legislation in their hometown and. How much she talked about how she loves the South and Asheville in particular, but there's still still so much progress to be done, and that they're gonna you know keep fighting the good fight for as long as they can, and then went into it. And it was just like oh my god, like it it was just I mean like yeah again I'm throwing the seaweed around again, but like that that was one of the most cathartic things I'd ever seen live was having a discussion about that and like just you know being you know open up where they're coming from and the difficulties of you know how much like the double edged sword of basically like the you know, city that they had grown and raised, mm-hmm. and like you know, they were excited to go back, and because they'd been on tour for several weeks up to that point, but still something where you know the there was still a lot of work to be done there, and there, it's not just a completely um, you know something that they you know kind of look at without any warts whatsoever, and then you know went into that, and it was like man, yeah. this is just like I yeah no, I mean my my appreciation for them just ratcheted up so much more after that, but yeah, yeah great stuff. That sounds insane. Yeah. yeah. I want to see them too. Yeah, I really, I mean, very much like, you know, they could play anywhere around Detroit. You know, I'm dragging your ass out there. Oh, for sure. And definitely looking forward to seeing uh, Lenderman next weekend at Pitchfork. For sure, too. Yeah, yeah, man. 
My last one then is one we saw together. It was another, kind of another a, Grand Rapids show. Another Grand Rapids show too. You and me yep. just like going back to our second home for That's some right. shows. I love it. This was my first show at Twenty Monroe. Your second time. Being yes, there, right? Nick yeah. and I saw Beach House there in twenty nineteen. Touring okay. uh, uh, seven, basically. But yeah. Yeah. We were seeing Fleet Foxes, who, if that's like, like I said, The Cure aren't one of my top 50 bands. Fleet Foxes are one of those bands that, like, are for sure in my top 50. And it always slips my mind how much I love them until, like, I have that, like, once a year time where I really go back. Because, like, I mean, we, all, we talk a lot about how, like, bands almost the parasocial relationships of where like if you've listened to a band since their first album and you followed them and you like everything it really does feel just like a friend who you've known or something Mm -hmm. like grown with and they're totally one of those bands and it's like i've like yeah like every album when it comes out i'm into it and like especially you too with think about the debut coming out in 2008 when you you were really starting to like that you're specifically i have a very specific memory of like the week joe zimmer put me onto indie rock coming out of being like a full classic rock friend kid. of the party well, it was friend only on pod, once but i, but I we need to get him back yeah, yeah I, I really want for to, sure yeah. um part of the enclave, the audio yeah, enclave. <laughs> that's right um we uh we were in a barnes and noble i believe and i just remember looking at the rack of music magazines and seeing fleet foxes on there and like seeing that album cover for the first one the i think it's a, Bro- a bruegel painting or the Hans Holbein or something and being like, what the, what, like, what is this? Like, it just looks so cool. And I remember him saying that name and just like, they're one of my first examples I'd ever heard of like indie rock. And they were so distinct for like that period, like them and mm-hmm. Bon Iver and all that. Um, but yeah, seeing them live blew me away. Uh, second time seeing them live, we had also seen them at the Masonic. Yes, we. I was at the first time that we had both seen them was at the same show touring Crack Up at the Masonic. Temple. Yes, which also I think great we show. both thought was great. This yeah. one for me even better. And oh, same here. And I was going to say the, the Masonic show. I I considered one of the best shows I'd ever seen. Yes, per, to be perfectly honest with you, and this one I thought was better. So yes, for, like, what it's worth. Like their harmonies are so on point and perfect, just as good as the record, if not better, because there is something about like hearing harmony in a theater space where like the acoustics are actually like oh, yeah. amplifying it in a certain way. Absolutely. Yeah. Like insane. if your voice is that good live, the space is probably going to, you know, make or break that sort yes, of thing. Yes. Like, for sure. Um, and Could, so this time yeah. the vocals are just as good, full band arrangements, just as good. But to me, the thing that really pushed this one over the edge were those visuals. They had mm-hmm. these like, yeah, just like pre-recorded videos that were sort of a mix of like, still motion videos of like nature similar to like the shore cover very much like of that aesthetic just yeah. sort of like breeze blowing across a river with like some trees um but it worked really well and it seemed like it was shot on film and it, i don't know it just had this gorgeous atmosphere and then also like abstract art uh sort of like just a lot of like geometric based stuff um but it didn't feel like a lot of times that stuff can feel kind of like corny like visualizers for druggy shit like that i i don't know i just sometimes that stuff strikes me as lame i was gonna say i i there was that one part of me that thought that it might lapse into a little bit of corniness for you at certain points yes. when you just like you know again without it changing all that much and just kind of hammering the same sort of idea throughout the songs or whatever but I'm i glad loved that it, it though. i thought it was super tasteful uh uh it was just like a lot of like shots of like going through like i don't know i don't want to get into get into too much visual description but it was just like a perfect marriage the set list was perfect. Uh, I hadn't heard Shore in a long time, and so hearing a lot of the songs off that, it was like exciting to hear them again. Um, a great mix of just like full band, but also moments like a couple songs where it's just Robin solo. Mm-hmm. His voice, like we talked about after the show, I mean, he must have, in my opinion, I think like got to be one of the top ten, just like pure vocalists 
in indie rock in the last like 10 years or so like i mean i like you can obviously get into like what it, pure pure is such a stupid fake word or whatever but like just in terms of like like a voice that your parents would agree is like wow that's a great voice like well yeah it's a, a voice that's considered like a, a classically like good voice as well as something voice. that's versatile and like i mean it the word that just kept striking to me was it just like it glides above everything it soars it like mm-hmm. it floats above the top of like everyone else i don't know it was just I think I left saying a 10 out of 10 show for me. I stand by that. That was like a perfect live experience for me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was really, yeah, pretty unbelievable. I mean, again, one of those things too were like, you know, I think about yeah some of the, you know, artists that we see live or enjoy record. It's like, oh yeah, this is only for, you know, certain subsect of people that are, you know, really, again, paying attention and even really into music that deeply on any level anyway. But like, yeah. I mean, really, on record and live, it's pretty much... They're, they're a band I can recommend to anybody. Like, yeah. pretty much just to anybody. Like, if mm-hmm. you, like... I mean, and, uh, with, within the kind of live music, it's like, okay, like, if you can you know, bring yourself to go through the motions of, you know, bringing earplugs if necessary, parking, dealing with all that, staying up late, whatever, that, you know, if you're somebody that, it, you know, can and is willing to, or willing to, like, you know, experience, like, do those sort of things to experience music live, like, I think that there's somebody that I, I could see anybody really appreciating, honestly. Yeah. There's just so much for anybody. My only thing is, I, I wish they had played more from Crack Up, but... For sure. Yeah, I think that, that's, if agree, I, if that's I had to nitpick favorite. anything, that is yeah. my favorite record of theirs, yep. but, like, yeah, it was an incredible show, for sure. Like, again... Mm. I guess that better than the first time I'd seen them, and so yeah, of course, it's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Like, I think we'll be seeing them next time they come back. Yeah, too, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Again, that kind of thing too. Where like, yeah, I pretty much again with all of that. It's like yeah, any chance that any yeah chance that we get to see them, like I'm probably going to be pushing for that yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, by IndieCast rules, we've officially made it. We're at tw- we're at the 29 minute mark. We made 30 minutes <laughs> before the what's the, well, what's the rule that they have? It's like the, get the meat of the episode in under 30 minutes. Yeah, get to the meat before 30. And that that also was gonna get to what I was gonna bring up as well right here is that do you want to just uh, blow past the what you've been jamming on because we're already we're getting yeah. A I think here. let's get like, into let's. I've been jamming on Madonna. Yeah, man. that's def- what I've been, definitely been jamming on some Madonna. There's there's more of this stuff that I'll be getting into with the Pitchfork recap next week. So for sure. You know, it's gonna be a lot of that stuff. So yeah. let's, let's get right to Madonna. Self titled. Boom. All right. So, before we get into just the specific album, I want to ask you just about what your familiarity with Madonna was going into this, like, both in terms of, like, what you kind of knew from her, what you associate with her, like, who, how would you have described, like, well, yeah, just, like, what does Madonna evoke for you when you when you think about her? I mean, I feel like, so, again, like, I, I, I have really only known a handful of her songs throughout the years. I mean, probably mentioned, like, uh holiday borderline like uh like a virgin i mean you know stuff that like you just like again like things that I, I feel like i would just hear on the radio or like you know referenced elsewhere different forms of media and like you know not somebody that i necessarily had much like really a favorable opinion on really up until last couple of years honestly mm-hmm. and like i d- definitely yeah associated her you know just primarily with the 80s i don't even think that i'd really thought about you know her kind of releasing music and touring and sort of being active post that it was seemed just again so time stamped within like sort of post disco synth pop kind of realms like not something that you know she was not an artist that i had you know really kind of thought about as you know kind of a pop lifer despite again the fact that like you know just the work in the 80s was just so influential and you know continue to have ripples throughout you know music you know following that but i um yeah, like I just always kind of seemed like she was on the periphery of my um, sort of you know view and lens of things, but like always just sort of there. Like it's hard to you know remember a time where I wasn't kind of aware of her as a cultural. Yeah, figure. there was never a time in my life where it was like 
who's Madonna? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. She just again, I, that that for sure is yeah. So I mean, again, I, I don't think I had like a really kind of strong understanding or foundation of that. It was just like, oh yeah, Madonna. She's you know an enormous pop star or whatever. Like yeah. just you know pretty dis- um, dismissive and uh, not you know somebody that I again had really kind of taken seriously or thought like that critically about until the last you know handful of years. Honestly, right, right. But what about you? Um, I mean, I feel like the first thing I ever knew about Madonna was like the same stuff you hear about Bowie like that like she's like okay. a chameleon who mm. like changes album to album and she like like maybe doesn't like adopt characters but like each album is maybe like slightly different stylistically in a distinct way and mm-hmm. has like a certain aesthetic to it like that she's very uh very savvy in terms of being able to like I think one of the key things that I'm interested in seeing through this thing is I have this I have a theory i hate saying that shit it sounds so corny (laughs) but that like being a pop star is less about like having your own i mean it's gonna differ for different artists Mm -hmm. i'm already contradicting myself on this (laughs) but like that it's less about having like a distinct style that you own and master or whatever and it's more about being able to be a vessel that can kind of like be an actor and sort of take on like whatever the invoke style is at the moment and kind of make it your own and still like and she to me is so that like she's just a vessel that like whatever's happening at the time like she can adopt it and like put her spin on it and do it in a way that like hits and works. And she was, I, I would say, definitely one of the artists that kind of established that sort of paradigm. I mean, you look yes. at like Bowie as like, oh, maybe, yes. maybe the like sort of first artist that could kind of really kind of do that in a meaningful, like, meaningful way for a long time. But she was, I mean, got started a little over a decade after he did. So it's not like, yeah. the, again, there was a ton of precedent for this sort of thing to begin with. Right, but. right. Um, and then beyond that, I just, the only other really like distinct memories I have are like my mom. I remember when Madonna did her like Oh four album. I think it was like the hard candy one, or maybe it was confessions from a dance floor. She did a huge tour. And I remember my mom really wanting to go see that. Um, that's kind of it. I feel like, and I remember her getting into like Kabbalah. Cause I specifically remember Matt Ward's dad handing my mom a Kabbalah book and being like, what is Kabbalah? Like it was some of my like first introductions to like non-christian non-christian like religions and like mm. just sort of seeing like mm. a, like, <clears throat> like seeing the way for some reason i have memories of a kid as a kid of like how like america is like such a predominantly christian country like viewed madonna being interested in kabbalah for, i don't know why but i have that memory mm. um but other than that yeah just like a an artist who i've always I, the only other things i guess i knew coming into this really with are like the way she also comes out of that New York scene that like like she dated John Michelle Basquiat and like she was just in that same sort of like have you ever seen the movie Basquiat? No, I've not. Where Courtney Love plays her. It's really good. It's Julian Schnabel directed it and Courtney Love plays Madonna. David Bowie plays Andy Warhol. Mm. It's it's everyone's in it. It's just like a great movie. But so like I've always been interested in that for her too, the way she comes out of that like late new york lower east side like avant-garde scene but like below she seems like she's had like a forrest gump style life where she's just been like at every big like cultural moment like from like 79 onward mm-hmm. also from michigan which is cool yeah i know i was gonna say that that was was it like bay city is yeah, where she was yeah. i mean very very interesting that like yeah she uh, and yeah the, the, there's still again uh, pretty much i i feel like i learned a lot of <laughs> everything i i feel like i know about her i pretty much learned within the past like week or so yeah. but uh yeah just really i mean Fascinating origin story. Moving there for, to study dance or to practice dance initially, like mm-hmm. that, that was her first and foremost love. Didn't necessarily pan out. Music was not like at all the sort of thing that was on her radar making that sort of move. And um, yeah, just the whole the whole origin story of her getting signed. I mean, I think that guy uh, Seymour Stein didn't, Seymour Stein yeah. didn't he sign like the replacements and like talk, like there were a handful of like pretty well respected bands that he had signed. Like he was somebody that like again like pretty much had 
was sort of a de facto tastemaker for uh, whatever label that was. And um, yeah, so he was on Sire Records. Okay, Seymour thank, Stein, the president you. of Sire Records. Let's pull it up. Who else did Please he do. sign here? Yeah, signed but, the Ramones. Okay, so this Ramones, is going to okay. get into a little of what I was curious with yeah. you in terms of like what the album evoked for you sonically, like his other touchstones for her first album here, the self-titled Madonna. Um, so he signed the Talking Heads, the Ramones, and the Pretenders. So very much that same New York CBGB. That's yeah. Lower East Side of like that everyone fetishizes or whatever. But again, it seemed like, again, at that point, and whenever, I mean, the, the, the self-titled record came out in 83, but yes. like, again, by whatever point she had been signed, again, 82, whatever that was, I mean, it was like, okay, like, it seemed like so much of that stuff was sort of already dead. It kind of, I feel way, like it like, had peaked, and yeah, and so like, yeah, I mean, by that point, obviously, like, CBGB, I don't think is, like CBGB and Max's Kansas City aren't what they were. I yeah. mean, I, obviously, I don't know for sure on this. That's, but that's yeah, the well, vibe none of us I know. Get. We weren't yeah. alive. We weren't there. But yeah. that, that seems to be what I've read and kind of absorbed through osmosis was that like, what, like the yeah, they, it was you know down you know on the, not necessarily maybe whatever the decline, but culturally speaking, it was just it did not have the same kind of uh, cachet that it did you know a decade prior. Or whatever, it, those first bands had all prior. like had their big. They'd already like found fame at that point. Yeah, so, yeah. Like Prince was on the way up. Uh, Michael Jackson had released Thriller like a few years before. Yep. MTV started in eighty one and like oh, wait, oh, was Talking Thriller? Heads were wait, sort I of thought, already peaked and I thought Thriller their, was eighty four. No, you're right. 82. 82. 82. It was late 82. But because I was going to say the next point was that like, oh, MTV started in 81. And so like uh, Michael Jackson, you know, with Thriller coming out like, you know, a year or so after that, it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, not hard to see why, like, you know, he took the by storm was sort of the poster figure for MTV, like mm-hmm. sort of out of the gates, sort of like the king of TV, king of pop, whatever. And like uh, Madonna became like the queen within very short order. Yep. And like we had talked about this a little bit uh, when we were, you know, hanging out a few days ago, but like she pretty much had seemed, you know, synonymous from that self titled onward with MTV because yeah. of just, again, that time frame of that. And again, speaking of just sort of what that sort of record did, uh, what it evoked and what it kind of became after the fact. But I was just going to mention real quick that it just, I think it's so interesting how. Um, I think it was the borderline demo that Stein heard. He was like yeah. bedridden in the hospital. Yes, yes. Somebody passed him the demo of that, and like within 24 hours, she was signed. Like he, she, she was in the hospital room with yeah, him. Yeah, like, and I love the line I read was that like dude. The, the I think it's from the Pitchfork review. Uh, uh, here we go. Yes. <laughs> Hours later, the 24-year-old dancer turned musician from Bay City, Michigan, was in that hospital room, hoping Stein was well enough to draw up a contract. (laughs) (laughs) I do feel like there's a, and maybe we'll learn throughout this if this is true or not, and I don't mean this in a positive or negative way, but I do get the vibe that, like, Madonna was a very, like, savvy, ambitious, like, I'm going to be there, I'm going to get that deal, I'm going to, like, whatever I got to do to, like, Gently but forcefully guiding his hand. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I... Um, Again, like, yeah, that that is something that I think is pretty evident with um, certainly the the songs, the videos, the aesthetic of this record. And, you know, uh, speaking to sort of your points earlier about how she's continued to uh, evolve with pop music the way that's mutated to stay relevant with passing trends and aesthetics and everything. Like, she is, I'm sure, like, so much savvier than people probably would have suspected a Michigan, you know, Midwestern transplant in New York would have been at that time. And as a woman, too, I mean, this will be a theme that we've for sure deal with throughout the the series on her but like the way that's perceived as a woman versus as a man in the industry Mm -hmm. has been so like like the idea yeah just that like when women are ambitious versus what men are ambitious like it gets interpreted differently unfortunately and Mm -hmm. yeah there's just so many ways where i think she's portrayed as being like fame hungry and like all these things which i could be true or could be not but the point is she deals with much more of a critical 
take on it than men ever seem yeah. to in the industry. And those sort of claims are going to be hyper exaggerated by virtue of her being a woman as yes. well. Like. Yes. All right. So getting into the actual album here, um, where do we want to start with this? I guess the one question I had for you upon listening to, I guess first question is just straight up. Did Were you a fan? Did you like it? Yeah, I'd say I liked it. Okay. Yeah, I, definitely. I, I really liked it a lot. I feel like this is one I will like. I don't see it being an album like I'm playing in the car a lot or something, but I definitely see it being like when I'm in a social situation and I want to put on fun music. Like, mm-hmm. there's like four or five singles on here that I just think are t- like ten out of ten. Well, and the thing is, it's it's like an eight song album. Yeah, I love that and so much. So it's got it's nice and succinct. I mean, the songs themselves are you know not not super. I mean, they're what like four to six minutes or something. So like yeah. they're pretty flushed out and substantial. But like eight songs on here, not really any in my opinion like obvious kind of overbearing filler in that way. Mm-mm. And uh, yeah, five of them are singles. Yeah, like it was like, yeah pretty very, massive. Like, very kind of one style flushed out, which yeah, I like a lot. Totally. Um, yeah. And I do got to say, yeah, I mean, I do think this it's the singles are the best ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Borderline is one of my favorite songs all time now, I think. Like, that, you think that so? One, I love those chord changes on the chorus so much. And then Holiday, Lucky Star, Everybody. Uh, God, there was one where I really, really, really. I mean, Burning Up is great. Uh, oh, Physical Attraction. I mean, they're all. I do love them all. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I was just, I, I mentioned this before that Holiday was one of my favorites. I think that might be my favorite song on here too, and it's not just because it evokes that. It reminds me of uh, that Gangnam Dance song House Jam from you know 2008 that I absolutely adore. I mean, I really like the rhythm of that, the melody. I mean, I really like there. There's it has so much going for it. I mean, really like one of those that like it just it's so infectious and undeniable and does not ever kind of wear its welcome in my opinion. I mean, it really yeah. just works on a lot of different levels. But yeah, I mean, I think yeah, Borderline, Lucky Star. I mean, like, really, like, again, these are... That Lucky Star synth that opens it, I think, is so cool. Well, that I, opens the whole record. It yeah. reminds me of, like, the Reading Rainbow, like... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, what, what I thought was kind of interesting about this record, I mean, there, you know, a lot of things, but one is that, again, there it's, you know, in my opinion, like, kind of undeniably an 80s record. Like, you could listen, mm-hmm. pretty drop, much drop at any point, like, oh, yeah, this is from the 80s. But it doesn't feel kind of time-stamped in a, like, doesn't... Uh, like it, I don't think it shows its age poorly. I think it's like sort of timestamped in a way that's undeniable because of some of the like synths that are deployed throughout. But there's also you know guitar and piano if and you, like like it's it's like a, like there's a lot of like actual live instrumentation on here as well. It's it, not strictly just electronic embellishment. If like Miley Cyrus said like oh my next album's gonna be kind of '80s influenced and like the first single was Borderline, I think it'd be a hit. Yeah, I could. Be, I mean, obviously there'd be some slight changes to productions and like sonic things would be a little more. I'm speaking so vaguely here, but think there'd be some slight differences. But as just a written song, like on the page, chords, rhythm, lyrics, that could totally, I think, still be a hit today. Totally, I I completely agree with that. Yeah, Um, and I do. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like it, it, you know, is so again. This was '83. Disco was you know pretty well established by this point, and and again, very much feels kind of embedded in that you know post disco sort of world. But it's still again, it feels fresh to me in that way, where it's like, oh yeah, like. Yeah, the timestamps are there, but like she just she totally makes it her own. From what I'm reading, yeah, like the the it seems like it's considered like a transitional record between like disco had sort of reached its end, and then now like more like electronic based dance pop is what's kind of like yeah she's sort of starting up. So I wanted to get into that with you. Is like what for you? What are the touchstones? Like who are the artists that it kind of sounds similar to you with? Because I was so surprised by when I put it on, like who I thought it sounded like. I mean, I I. Trying to like, I feel like there's uh, a little bit of Lady Gaga, a little bit of Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, there's going to be a ton that I'm sort of blanking on. I mean, maybe some like Janet Jackson, but like, I, I, I like there's some enormous ones that I'm definitely blanking on right now. What, 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 what did you, I guess, like think and then were surprised by then? I guess I didn't know what I was, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, like I knew a few of these songs already. I didn't know I knew Lucky Star, but I did. But like Holiday and Borderline, I definitely knew. And I guess I wasn't sure what the rest of it was going to sound like. But to me, the the artists that I kept hearing nonstop were Talking Heads, mm. uh, Tom Tom Club, uh, in terms of like a later one, LCD Sound System. Oh, LCD Sound System for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Prince. But just a lot of that stuff where it's like you get the Lin drums, like the electronic drums, and then you'll have like... Tom Phil's kind of in that very like talking heads LCD sound system like and then just like synths that are just coming in doing like not even playing like full lines but just doing just like, like a little two note kind little, of thing that yeah a little like funky like stabs yeah yeah, yeah totally I, I, it's so cool to me it's such a distinct style that yeah like and I feel like she handled it so perfectly I'm also so curious about like the album cover to me as such like a specific like aesthetic to it like it reminds me of like i feel like that could be a smith's album cover oh yeah i feel like it would just be in, in just general like, morrissey just like looking at it with a stare like that yeah like, or like yeah. a little boy i feel like it's all yeah it's like a post-punk kind of like there's something about the, the typeface feels very post-punk post-punk kind of, art rock i mean that's where i i do think like you mentioned talking heads and there are a lot of out comparisons there and just beyond the like the overall aesthetic of yeah. it, i totally see if you told me like savages were back and it was just like the main <laughs> person now and that she wanted to be on the top like the cover like i could see that right there I, it's just like uh it's a really distinct look um yeah it I, I loved this album. Like I said, I, I plan on coming back to it. I do have a couple random fun facts if I can throw yeah, them Yeah, yeah, please throw the fun facts The out. one that threw me the most is, so the album was originally produced by this guy, Reggie Lucas, who she selected to do it, and then she was unhappy with him, and she brought in this guy, John Jellybean Benitez. Didn't Lucas co-write a few songs on there as well? Co-wrote. He straight up wrote Borderline. Okay. But the majority of the album's co-written by her and him. Okay, Here's gotcha. my crazy fun fact. So I'm thinking, I'm like, who is this guy? Like, what else has he done? He wrote a song for Stephanie Mills that was sort of a big hit. Uh, the name is slipping me right now. But the big one is, dude played rhythm guitar in Miles Davis's 70s band. He was in, he was on on the corner. That's fucking He was wild. on live. <laughs> That's like, so what? nuts. <laughs> like, it Jesus. makes no sense at all. Like, wow. What a Those, dude. So I was going to say, New York, I mean, again, a lot of kind of, um, you know, through lines between a lot of different styles. That's not one that I would ever guess. No, like, like he's with John the, McLaughlin. Dude played guitar on the corner. Mike like, Henderson. Like it just makes no nuts. sense to me. Wow. I also was surprised. I didn't realize that she had been in a band in New York prior to it oh, called yeah, The she Breakfast Club. She played some drums in that. Played didn't drums. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember. I, I mean, this was something that I again I discovered like a few days ago. It's like I, and not that I didn't think she could play drums, but I did not know that she was in a band like yeah, prior, prior to, to actually, or any like, of that. Me yeah, neither. Yeah. 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 So I'm interested in that. From what I read, they were described as being slightly post-punk. I would love to. Yeah. I found there's a documentary. I don't know if it actually came out. I was able to find the trailer that's specifically about like her time prior to this album in mm-hmm. the music. And so I would love to hopefully during the series here at some point watch that and give a little recap. Yeah. But um, yeah. So just I mean, like overall here, first album. I don't know if it like specifically gives me what I think of Madonna as being. I mean, like. You, uh, from what I've read on the reviews, you can see some traces of, like, there is, like, throughout Madonna's career, a big thing, I think, is, like, a woman owning her sexuality and not, like, specifically, like, selling it for the, like, not selling, it's a bad way to phrase this here, but uh, 
having it always be read through the male gaze, but specifically just like a woman asserting her sexuality just for herself. Yeah, yeah that, that's what it, totally on yeah. her own terms doing it because she wants to yes. not for the approval of anybody else, but this Ex- is how she wants to present herself. Exactly. And, yeah. And I think that the videos do a really great job of portraying that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that like of the five, um, I think so. There are three of them where there are more or less kind of just her sort of dancing. And like, again, like I, just on its surface, it's like okay, these videos aren't necessarily that. Like I think the videos for um, burning up and um, I want to say it's uh, borderline are the ones that have a little bit more going on there. There's a little mm-hmm. bit more of a story and something mm-hmm. kind of happening within the margins and not necessarily just her sort of dancing. But I think with all of those videos, there's very much that kind of thing where like the way that she is presenting herself is very much like oh, this is not intended for anybody but myself. Like, yeah. I, I am doing this out of my own kind of autonomy and like if you're into it that's awesome but like I don't really give a fuck either way sort of thing like yeah and I, uh, it, yeah it's just it's very very striking for that like again just did not seem like that was uh you know the, like, basically a por- paradigm that she seemed like she was establishing kind of in real time yeah like to quote that pitchfork review of the first album uh they mentioned the video for burning up uh, they quote oh, let me quote the writer here too we were talking about jill mapes this is from august 2017 and jill mapes says in the burning up video madonna tugs at a thick chain looped around her neck and rolls around in the street while singing lines i'm not the others i do anything i'm not the same i have no shame her panting underscored by high energy beats and raunchy rock guitar solos. A man drives towards Madonna, but at the end, it's her behind the wheel. The first great wink to her signature subversion of power through sex. And I feel like, yeah, like that's like two themes we're going to see throughout is like one Madonna being a sexually like autonomous woman who like owns it throughout her career. And then also like, I'm so excited to see her, like we've been talking about, like through the eighties, just master that music video form. And like, cause music, I mean, we, I think we, it could lead us into kind of just conversations about like, what is the medium of a music video? Like, how does it differ? Like from like, I think music videos don't succeed on the same terms as like movies or whatever. Like they are just these, like, like what makes a good music video? Is it vibe? Is it yeah. narrative? I mean, there's different ways obviously, but like the idea of like, yeah, just, Oh, these videos just exist to sell more records and accompany the single or, you know, they are being, you know, kind of their own artistic statements in yes. their own right. And something that beyond just the scope of the album itself or whatever. And she, the song. she yeah. know, yeah. Like out of the gate, she's one of the first people who realizes like, this doesn't have to be like where you hear about Pearl jam later in the nineties, like with their first album being like, we don't do videos. It's just going to be videos of us playing live. Like, that's cool like that's fine if that's what you want to do but you could also use it to like just build out more of like your world like yeah and she's such a the master of that oh yeah, yeah. absolutely and i think it is such a telling thing that again like you know with mtv starting in 81 and her releasing this album in 83 it was like there was never a moment where that wasn't sort of a factor within her it was like it, from the jump it was just like oh yeah this is just part of the full package and the videos exist on their own and have their you know something more to say than just the songs themselves and it just again spilled speaks to the larger sort of mythos of her artistry and, yeah you know it'd be cool to see again like you said watch that sort of evolve with each subsequent record and oh if you're ever bored dude my, my hobby lately has really become just on youtube you can watch they have just full blocks of mtv from like the 80s like you can watch like two hours of mtv from 1985 or like mtv's look back at the year of 84 that stuff is so fun like just from like a musical perspective and like a historical perspective it's just like so interesting um so i don't know if you have any uh last thoughts you want to uh, make i i one thing too that i was sort of teasing earlier and have not actually articulated on here yet was that i think it is interesting again that like you know when we talk about this being kind of a post-disco sort of into like a new sort of form of electronic pop music that like you know at this point in time like disco and like dance music was more or less seemed to be something that was on the fringes of culture again like we were not alive for that sort of thing we were not necessarily like we just know we know through just reading and being immersed in different forms of media and history what have you but like 
beyond like queer nightlife and uh you know quote-unquote rock purist with some kind of like homophobic racist sort of bent it was not something that i think a ton of people necessarily had much of a take on or it, again, it was not like mainstream in that sort of way and like Madonna really brought dance music to the mainstream. Yeah, like we think about dance music today as being completely synonymous with pop music. It's like mm-hmm. it just—it's yeah. just a no-brainer. Especially it's like, for us at high school, it like was the same. Yeah, yeah. Like, like there's yeah. just like it, four it's, on the floor club. Yeah, this is pop. What pop music sounds like, but that was not the case in '82, '83, and like it wasn't until '80, whatever. Like she was in large part the reason why like dance music was be, sort of became a mainstream concern. Mm-hmm. And I just think that it's just interesting to think about a time before that was the case because it's yeah. just hard to imagine. But. Yeah, it's yeah, and you're totally right. I didn't even think about that connection too to like late '70s, like queer culture nightclubs, like late where Larry Levan's playing yes, and stuff. Exactly. And just that whole like that, scene. that's where that stuff really existed. Like yeah, that, that's. I mean, it was not something that was played on the radio. It was like, oh, like if you were, you know, somebody that was othered and you know lived in, you know, down like you know any kind of like urban environment, probably privy to this happening. But otherwise, it was just not something that was really kind of acknowledged or you know. A, again a mainstream concern really across America generally and that shifted pretty dramatically in the wake of Madonna right and on the disco note too looking forward here so the next album I didn't know this the next album comes out next year like a virgin um let me pull this up here I do want to confirm that it is yeah it's like a virgin uh produced by Nile Rodgers so I'm curious to see how that's gonna sound too for I am the next too. episode oh yeah yeah okay yeah. it's a shame I feel like down the road we could get a great I mean it's probably I don't know if it's too late now I don't want to count out Madonna that might be a theme we have going here too <laughs> but like a Madonna Daft Punk collab oh yeah could be so perfect. I am even just a remix record of someone like mashed the two up. I would love that. I feel like as we progress too, I'm gonna just okay. That would be really cool, and I'm gonna feel increasingly disappointed that they didn't try to tap her for random access memories. I mean, maybe yeah. they did. Maybe they did, and she denied. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but like that it would have been me because she does seem like she's. Uh, I don't want to <laughs> say like itching to like. St- I'm gonna stop myself before I say something. But I you, it that seems that in your opinion, more likely than not, that they didn't even like make the. I just feel like Madonna wouldn't have said no to that, especially yeah. if she knew like everyone who was. I don't know if, if she knew who else was in involved in the scope of the project yeah. and what they were trying to get across it seems know. more like than not she would have been on board yeah i'm yeah because um, that just feels like such an unfortunate missed opportunity right God, there yeah i'm but. gonna say on record here at the beginning first episode of the series i got on the table i don't know 250 bucks for whoever wants to do a mashup ep of four madonna and daft punk songs 250 bucks right here from audio ecstasy but i'll cover it don't don't worry all me i want four songs right now whoever's listening make it happen would love to hear that. Yes. I just, uh, you know, Daft Punk was really doing it wrong that time. So, nice. Love to have somebody fix the record there, as much as I love hey. some of the songs on there, including that one. But, yeah, uh, yeah I guess uh, that's all we got for episode one of uh, Views in the Vault Season 3 Madonna. Yes. Ecstasy out. Ecstasy out. Had to slip in that <laughs> little corny thing right there. <laughs> Thank you.